The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, today our show is about artificial intelligence, and I have was reading about this new book that came out, Prediction Machines, A Simple Economics of artificial intelligence, and I wanted to get the author on. So we're so thrilled that joining us from Canada, from Toronto, Canada, is Professor Avi Goldfarb, who is the Rotman Chair in Artificial Intelligence and Healthcare at the Rotman School of Management, the University of Toronto, along with A.J. Agrawal, uh, let's see, Agrawal, and Joshua Gans, Avi is the author of the international best-selling book, Prediction Machines, The Simple Economics of Artificial Intelligence. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So, Avi, first of all, let's talk about what is artificial intelligence? How would you describe it? So, artificial intelligence is the creation of machines that can do what normally requires human intelligence. So it's a very broad definition. That said, the reason we're talking about artificial intelligence today, and we weren't really talking about it 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, is not about um, truly intelligent machines as you've seen in science fiction. It's about a very particular technology, a branch of computer science called machine learning that has gotten much better. And so the reason we're talking about AI today and the excitement around AI today is not about a true general artificial intelligence. It's instead um, prediction technology. It is a branch of computer science that has a lot to do with statistics that's gotten much, much better. Right, right. So why is there so much more attention to AI today than there was in the past? I mean, people were gathering data for a long time. So why is it the hot topic right now? So um, about seven years ago, there were um, a handful of breakthroughs in, in this uh, area called machine learning, in this research area called machine learning, uh, that made it clear that this was a commercially viable technology. So Over the past, since the first conference on artificial intelligence at Dartmouth College in 1956, there have been waves of excitement and then what they call AI winters when things haven't gone so well and didn't seem the commercial opportunities were going to come to fruition. What's happened in the last few years is now clear there are 
several commercial opportunities and several real applications that are happening already of machine learning, this branch of artificial intelligence. So let's talk about, to give some examples for my audience, let's give some examples of the commercial uses of AI. So the, the one that everybody is familiar with, you might not realize it's an AI, is Google search. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, what uh, happens when you enter a search query into Google, you, you, the statement of intent, you say what you want, is um, Google has, you know, Google's machines essentially predict uh, what links they think you want to look at. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's artificial intelligence technology that's clearly commercially viable. And in some form, it's been around for 20 years or 20 plus years. And over time, Google's tools have gotten much better and they've incrementally used more and more advanced machine learning to the point where today's algorithm is very much a commercially viable artificial intelligence. There's also a number that you've, a number of technologies that you've seen um, on TV in your day-to-day lives, whether it's Amazon's Alexa, the Echo, where it uses artificial intelligence to, um, when you ask it a question, to predict what the answer you're looking for is or what the answer you want is. There's um, increasing improvements in machine translation. And so Google Translate is one example, but there's lots of others where uh, you can give uh, text in one language and the machine uh, using prediction technology, using machine learning, so you know, today's artificial intelligence converts, uh, say, some English text into French if you happen to be in France and need to communicate. And so, you know, all sort in all sorts of fields, we're seeing these rapid advances in, in applying uh, this prediction technology, these prediction machines, today's artificial intelligence to to new environments. Right. So what, you know, so when I think about that I have Alexa and um, how, you know, obviously it's not perfect. I might say something about my daughter. We're in the living room and I'll say something about my daughter, Alyssa, and it'll wake up, <laughs> you know. So what what is the worry about her listening to what I'm saying in my living room of, with my husband? Is there any kind of worries for privacy with this artificial intelligence sitting there with us? Okay, so that, that's a great question. So first, uh, the way you described it is very interesting because you described Alexa as a her. And Alexa's a <laughs> it, right? Right, right. Um, it's, well, she's got a uh, woman's voice, so... <laughs> it, it does have a woman's voice, but it is a computer, effectively like any other computer. Right. There is no true intelligence in the background listening in. So the the... Um, when we think about their listening, which is sort of what sounds frightening about it, there's not, you know, the they is, is a machine that doesn't really care. So from, a, from the, the first order side, maybe there's not much to worry about here. If you have to think, you know, if you want to find something to worry about, you may want to, uh, then the issue is if that is being recorded right. and um, there are... Uh, and the legal environment is such that you're worried that um, people you don't want to be able to listen in could listen in, mm-hmm. uh, then you would have a problem. The, that legal environment caveat was important. So in some sense, it's not that different from a phone conversation you would have had before. They're collecting a lot more data, 
um, and there's a lot more data coming back and forth, but um, you know, it's not it's not straightforward to um, to collect what happens on Alexa to actually have a human listen, right? So right now Alexa is listening, but that's an it. That's just a machine. It's uh, collecting that data, and sometimes it's recording and sometimes not, depending on the situation. Um, and from what Amazon says, it only turns on uh, you know, effectively the word Alexa is an on-off switch. And so if you haven't said the word Alexa, you don't, there's no on-off switch. Although, you know, to your point, if you said Alyssa, yeah. or if you had a child named Alexa, or all sorts of things like that, <laughs> that could become a problem, uh, then it would turn on. So, so how do I know what you know, so Avi, how do I know when they're recording and when they're not recording? So, um, the way the technology works right now is there's going to be a light on when it's when it's listening. Right. Um, so the um, so in a in a straight sense, there's not a privacy concern there, a direct privacy concern. The privacy concern is if somebody uh, is hacking it and figuring out a way to get around these issues, which, to my knowledge. Um, I haven't heard of that happening, but it's something you can imagine. Right. Anything we can think of can be done, right? <laughs> well, I don't know if it can be done, but we can imagine it. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, when I think about the artificial intelligence I use, I also have a, a, a Hey Google, right? They sent me a free one. So, so I've got that as well. And then, of course, Siri on my iPhone, those are all right. examples of artificial intelligence. And so we don't know um, if really all the uh, intricacies of it, of, who, of how they might be listening or how that might be recorded or how that might be used. If I'm searching for so, something that someone wanted to perhaps use against me, um, that um, might be so a, the, a worry, right? So the risk here... I think has almost nothing to do with the artificial intelligence. It has to do with the fact that you have microphones in lots of places. Right. And so, you know, the risk with respect to privacy um, is not that there is, you know, when you ask a particular machine, a woman uh, that has a woman's voice, a question, um, it fills in what it thinks, what it uh, predicts a useful answer is going to be and then, and then provides it. The risk is that, um, your phone and your uh, smart speakers all have microphones in them. Right, right. And so it, in some sense, these are the risks that go along with the artificial intelligence because to make the artificial intelligence work, you need a microphone. Right. But your phone has a microphone and even in the absence of Siri. Right. And the, the privacy risk is on the microphone, not on the AI. Right, I right, right. Of course, then I may rely on it and say things to Siri, or um, or search for things right. on Alexa that I that I probably would have done differently. Of course, even if I did it on Google, <laughs> that search can be um, captured as well. So and it, and is captured. So I guess there is no privacy. Is that right? <laughs> uh, I I would not go as far to say that, but um, but the the point that there's no. There's no obvious difference to information going into a microphone or you typing in, you know, if you have a query yeah. um, and you provide that to, um, to a machine, then um, that data exists on the machine. 
Okay. And whether that query is, is verbal or typed doesn't really matter. Right. So what does AI mean to jobs and to what's left for humans to do? That's a, that's a fun question. Um, so, okay, so the, we, to, to get our heads around this, we, um, and, and lots of other people's heads around this, we hosted a, a conference uh, about a year and a half ago at the University of Toronto um, through the National Bureau of Economic Research where we brought in a whole bunch of leading economists to think through this problem and, and hypothesize on what might happen because um, it's a big problem and it's a question that everybody gets all the time. And so we thought bringing um, some extremely smart people together who have the relevant expertise would help. Mm-hmm. And the first conclusion um, that we got from this conference and it included um, several uh, for, former members and chairs of the Council of Economic Advisors, um, a couple of Nobel Prize winners, etc., First thing we uh, we realized is the jobs question is is the wrong question, mm. and it's the wrong question for three reasons. So the first reason it's the wrong question is one that might be unsatisfying to non-economists, which is that um, it's our models. There's in the long run, there's going to be lots of jobs. This is how the the economic models work. The other two are a little more intuitive. The first one of the other two is there's lots of really horrific jobs. Okay, so to the extreme, uh, many of your listeners may have uh, seen the movie The Matrix. Right. In that movie, every human has a job. So that's an artificial intelligence. They're machines that can do everything humans can do, but they still keep humans employed as batteries. That's not a good world to be in, even though everybody has a job. Hmm. On the other extreme, 150, 200 years ago, most of our ancestors were working um, 80-hour weeks, back-breaking work. Uh, they'd start working as soon as they were old enough to do something, and they worked pretty much until they were too sick to do any more work. Youth, um, leisure time, weekends, retirement were, were not part of the story. And so... Leisure is a good thing. And in some sense, leisure is the opposite of, of having a job, work. It's not called a fun, it's called a job, right? right it's not something right. we, we necessarily love to do. So the worry isn't so much about will there be jobs or won't there. Uh, for the, you know, the one reason is there's lots of bad jobs. The other reason you know, is vacation sounds pretty good. Uh, the worry is how the increase, if... Um, uh, AI gets to a point where it really does make us wealthier, where it really has a big impact on society, um, how is that wealth going to be distributed? So the worry isn't about jobs. The worry is about inequality. Right. And there's lots of reasons to be worried about inequality as this technology diffuses, uh, much more so than, um, than jobs per se. That I just want, there's one important caveat on that, which is that uh, the long run can be a long time. In the short run, that's not to say there won't be people who, um, who suffer because um, their particular job can be done by machine, and it's going to take them time to learn new skills and retrain before they get a new job. So that, I don't mean to say everybody's going to win, but when I think about the big society-level issue, the big society-level issue is inequality, not jobs. 
Right. So talk a little bit more about what you mean with the fear or the concern about inequality. You're talking about those who um, have to relearn or what, what, tell us what you mean. Okay. So, um, so how we should think about the technology, uh, the technology makes us better off by making companies more productive, by making organizations more productive, uh, by enabling individuals to do more than they could before. So in generally, in general, that seems like a good thing. Mm-hmm. That said, if the if the, the the benefits, the profits from the better technology, only accrue to a small number of people, for example, the people who own it, right, right, um, then that's going to lead to increased inequality. If a small number, you know, even if the technology, in principle, makes us all wealthier, um, you know, sort of on average. If most of that benefit is appropriated by the small number of people who own it, then that increases inequality, and that's one reason to be concerned. Right. The other reason to be and that um, you know, the the academic root of that is, um, you know, at least since Thomas Piketty, and talking about um, the the increasing role of capital in society relative to labor. The other side of things is even. You know, among workers, some workers are going to be better at using the technology than others. Mm-hmm. And this is an old story in the context of information technology called skill-biased technical change. What we've seen with every other generation of computing is that the people who benefit from it tend to be uh, skilled in various ways, whether it's because they're educated, they're good at using computers to leverage their, you know, their existing capabilities. And that has led to increased inequality over the last 40 or so years. And at this point, there's no reason to think machine learning, today's artificial intelligence, is going to be any different. Right. To be clear, it's too early to know know for sure, but there's there's no reason to think it's going to be different yet. I think another concern is bias with the artificial intelligence. Let's talk a little bit about actual bias and how the artificial intelligence works. Absolutely. So the artificial machine learning works by um, you know, learning from, the, from things that have already happened. It learns from data. Right, right. And if the data that you feed the machine is biased, then the machine is going to be biased. So, for example, a company recently that um, said they were going to launch an AI to help them with their hiring decisions. Mm-hmm. Then they found, um, as reported, that the AI uh, was only telling them to hire white men. Uh-huh. So the AI was clearly biased. And so the conclusion was, okay, well, then we're not going to use this AI anymore. We're going to keep hiring the way we used to hire. But the reason, but that, that sounds like a, a victory for humans over the machines, right? But the reason the machine was uh, telling this company to disproportionately hire white men is because the people who the company's recruiters had hired in the past were overwhelmingly white men. And so what the machine was doing is identifying resumes that looked like those people's resumes and um, who had been hired before and sort of continuing the bias that was already there. So there's a, you know, the pessimistic point is the machine has exactly whatever biases we have, and you know, 
um, and implements them at scale potentially. So it's not just one biased person, but it's uh, it can be a, a much bigger problem. The optimistic point is that unlike a human brain, we can audit the machine and figure out that there's something wrong and improve upon it. Mm. So it's very hard to figure out that um, a human recruiter is really biased. It's much easier to figure that out from a machine. And so the, the, um, the challenge in using uh, prediction machines at scale is that you need to continually audit them and use your judgment about what matters to make sure that the predictions it's giving aren't biased in a way that matters. Right, right. The opportunity is that you can do that, unlike for a lot of human decisions. Right, right. So even, I mean, I think you even see some bias when, you, when I do a search, right? Like if I do a search with Google or if somebody's using my computer um, and they are predicting things about me that really aren't me. That's kind of a bias, but it's it's a kind of a uh, it's a mistake basically <laughs> that yeah. they're they're the prediction is based on something that's erroneous, which is kind of what you said before that if if it's programmed wrong, then um, then it's going to come out that way, and if it's picking up on things that aren't really about me. So, for example, let's say I'm searching about cancer and I don't have cancer. Um, but I'm searching about it because I have a cousin that has cancer and I want to look up and find out about it. So then I start being cubbyholed as that I have cancer or, and then they start sending me things about that. So what about that? I'm trying to think about Isn't how to categorize kind of, it as a bias. So there it's kind are, of like a bias. Any, it's, it's, it's a prediction yeah. that's erroneous, basically. It's, a, it's an erroneous yeah. prediction. Yeah, yeah. And so the... The organizations and companies that succeed with these machines are going to be the ones that figure out, um, one, how to make sure their predictions are as good as possible, and two, have systems, place, systems in place to deal with the failures. Um, to the extent that these are being launched and they're quite brittle, um, so that uh, there's a mistake and there's no way to fix it, and that means that you're just not going to want to use the service anymore, then those companies are going to be much less likely to succeed. So, um, so in other words, your point is very well taken that uh, we're a long way from having these machines as perfect. Um, the, there is a force moving us in the right direction, which is that the incentives of the people to build, building these machines um, are to make them as good and accurate as possible and to have systems in place to deal with when they make mistakes. Right, right. <laughs> and I think about some of those translations um, you know, I have Vietnamese girls that do my nails, and so I was trying to use some of the Google Translate, <laughs> and they were hysterically laughing. They said, that is not what we're saying, you know. So uh, you're right. that <laughs> it's, it's not quite perfect yet. And, of course, when I dictate into my phone, it comes up with crazy stuff as well. So, I mean, we're, we're in the right direction, but we really aren't quite there, right? <laughs> yeah. So yes, it's um, trans. Yeah, and uh, translation is better um, in places where there's more data. So translation is at its best when translating bureaucratic speak in European languages. Because, for example, because there is great data in Europe on how to trans because of the EU on translating documents, bureaucratic documents across languages. 
Right. And so it's going to be better at that. It's going to be less good at um, things where there might be less data, for example, Vietnamese uh, colloquialisms. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, where, where you're from North Vietnam or South Vietnam or whatever. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about big data. Does big data mean that a small number of companies will dominate the economy? I mean, when we're looking at that, the big companies? Um, so... No. So there's lots of forces moving us to a small number of companies dominate, dominating those, and they have to do with, um, some of them have to do with digitization, with the move to uh, companies that service over the internet, in particular, um, the role of, of platforms that bring buyers and sellers together. That, right. that does lead to a small number of companies. But AI and data, um, at least the evidence so far, suggests not. And there's a, there's a very particular reason for it, which, which goes back to um, what you might have learned in your very first stats class, which is that as you're gathering data, each additional observation is less useful. So, for example, mm-hmm. let's say you're trying to figure out how long it's going to take you to get to the airport. Mm-hmm. The first time you drive to the airport is really informative about how long it's going to take on average. The third time you're still learning something. By the hundredth time, you have a pretty good sense and so the 101st isn't adding any extra data, any, you know, much extra value. Right. And so, um, therefore, you know, having lots and lots and lots of data is incrementally better, but there aren't economies of scale. It's not that having each additional observation is even more useful for big firms and small firms. And so the, this force on data is moving us toward uh, the opposite, not really the opposite, but there isn't a force moving us to a small number of companies dominating. The forces moving to a small number of companies dominating are one is this platform, is platforms, which you've talked about, and the other uh, is more on the regulatory side. And there's all sorts of great reasons to have privacy regulation. One of the costs of a lot of the regulations that we've seen so far is that they end up favoring large incumbent firms with good legal departments and consumer trust. Right. And so if you have a regulation that says um, you, uh, you have to ask your customers for permission for using your data in very particular ways, um, customers are going to trust companies they know well, Google, for example, right. and they're less likely to trust some new startup. And that puts that new startup at a disadvantage. Furthermore, if being compliant with the regulation requires you to have a big legal department, that's going to help big companies over small ones. And so the, you know, as I see it, the two forces leading us toward bigger and bigger companies in the digital space um, are platforms and regulation much more than, you know, data and AI per se. Yeah, and you have, you know, unlike the United States, of course, we're the California Consumer Privacy Act is coming close to what you have with the European Union. But basically, yeah, you have a much better privacy um, platform. Oh, yeah, yeah, and than we no. do. No? No. You have no, privacy really. commissioners and all we that good stuff. You have a privacy stuff. commissioner. But <laughs> the, 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 regula- the regulatory framework, there's, there's differences, don't get me wrong, but the regulatory framework is pretty similar in Canada to the U.S. It might be a little bit more towards Europe. It's a lot closer to the U.S. than it is to Europe. Europe is quite different. Yeah, yeah. 
So how should governments think about privacy protection? And we don't, you know what, we don't have a lot of time. So maybe you could just give me a little soundbite about how governments should think about privacy protection with AI. Um, There's lots of reasons to value privacy, but it's important to know that it doesn't come for free. And in most of the evidence we have so far for, for privacy regimes like the U.S. or Europe, Increased privacy protection leads to decreased innovation hmm. in, um, in AI and digital markets. To be clear, I just want to say this once again, that doesn't, that's not a statement about whether privacy is good or bad. That's a statement that if it is something we value, then that's great, but it's not free. But I remember your wonderful privacy commissioner talked about she's the one who developed privacy right. by design. <laughs> And designing yeah. privacy into the architecture of AI or whatever uh, new technology you're building. But we're out of time. So I just want to say the name of your book, and then you could give your website. This is a best-selling book, Prediction Machines, The Simple Economics of Artificial Intelligence. We've been speaking with our wonderful professor, Avi Goldfarb. And why don't you just give your website, and it's time to go. It's uh, predictionmachines.ai. Thank you so much, and we will stay in touch and have you back again. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Nervine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 